All right, pretty cool praise and worship, huh? Amen. I'm just, uh, I'm just thrilled with how praise and worship team is, is just coming along and growing, and uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a lot of fun to hear. It's a lot of fun to participate. Amen. Fun stuff. <clears throat> so, I think this is just really neat. This is like. This is like living the dream. You know, this is, okay, that's, that's fine. We're, we're small, no big deal. By the way, I was reading a book about, by Jim Cimbala, and he was recounting in it about how um, he was, you know, first year, first year into his church plant. I think it was a church plant down there at the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And he couldn't get people to show up, you know, if, if his life depended on it. And so <laughs> it was just funny. It was just funny kind of reading about that a little bit. And uh, then he started putting prayer into it, and uh, like real prayer, and things and things happen. So, you know, obviously, so this is uh, to me, this is living the dream that's been twenty years in the making. So, amen. So we're going to be looking at Ephesians one again. Um, last time we got through verse six, and uh, and um, so just as a little review, we talked about what it means to be in Christ, how it's an emotional environment where. You know, you're accepted by God in Christ, where you're blessed by God in Christ, where he chose you and where he's devoted to you. You're handpicked, faults and all. Um, he says and does loving things to just show kindness to you, and you don't have to fear him going away. So we talked about all those things. <clears throat> and then how these exact same elements are are, are basically what, it, what are identified here as being in love on earth. And so it's like, it's like you can be in Christ. If you're in Christ, then you are in love. You are in this place of being loved by God, where He fulfills all all those all those needs, all those desires to be loved, right? And um, <clears throat> then He'll constantly feed joy into our into our lives through each day. So that's a little bit about the running start where we were at last week. And so we're going to go ahead and jump into uh, verses seven through ten today. So this is um, the message today is in Christ, part one. In Christ, part one. So we'll go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you, we give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you glory um, for your Son, Christ Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your word that teaches us um, all these things. We just ask, O oh Lord, that you would open our, open our eyes, you would open our minds, you would open our hearts, and that you would move in a powerful way um, as you teach us. Um, your truth about what it is to be in Christ from from uh, the book of Ephesians. Father, we just ask that you would anoint this time. We ask that you would speak your words and nothing else, and that um, we could hear clearly what the Spirit says. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So, Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'd give us ears to hear. We ask that Jesus Christ would be glorified, and we give him all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> and so it's interesting, in the first 14 verses of um, Ephesians 1, it says in Christ or in the beloved or in him or, you know, in whom, those, those variations about being in Jesus. You know how many times it says that in the first 14 verses? Ten times. Ten times in 14, in 14 verses, which is probably more like seven sentences. And so if, if you brought up a subject and you talked about it 10 times in the first 30 seconds or 45 seconds that you talked to somebody, they would know what's on your, what's on your mind, really. Like, 
if you showed up here hungry and every third word out of your mouth was food and eat and hungry and stuff like that, people people get where you're coming from. And so that's kind of like what's what's going on right here. So the Apostle Paul, he's hard driving this message to the reader uh, to, the, to the point to say, look, who, just like we talked about last week, whoever has the son has all things, right? Just like that. And so the NET Bible, um, I think it's New English Translation, uh, with Dan Wallace as the senior New Testament editor. He was my Greek teacher. So anyway, so the way, the way he describes this is, this is not the first time a New Testament author was so overcome with awe for his Lord that he seems to have lost control with his pen. <laughs> Indeed, it happened frequently enough that some have labeled this an apostolic disease where they just get so caught up in focusing on Christ Jesus that they just want to talk about him. And so they keep writing about what it's like to be in Christ. And so it's, it's kind of like this, whatever you, you know, it's how like if you have a problem in your life and when you focus on that problem, it just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger and, you know, encompasses everything. Well, it doesn't just happen with problems. That's just the principle of life, right? The more you focus in on something, the more it becomes all consuming. And the same thing happens when we focus on Christ Jesus. He gets bigger and bigger in our you know, scope, in our view. <clears throat> and the bigger he gets, the more you see how great he is and the more you adore him. And the more you hear him, the more precious he becomes to you. So this is just a, <clears throat> another little, little juicy tidbit. So in Mark 3.14, go ahead and mark it down. Mark 3.14, this is just a little tidbit. Um, that our first job... And so here, so here we are doing this church plan, right? Which is, which is really awesome stuff. I mean, I'll, this is like tip of the spear kind of stuff. This is really neat. <clears throat> but our very first job that the Lord commissions us to do is to be with him. It's to be with Jesus. And so in, in Mark three fourteen, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's number one. You got to be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. And then that's number two. And then number three, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. All of that flows from being with him, right? So that's like our that's like our first goal, our first job here. And so we'll go back to Ephesians here in verses one through seven. So this is kind of like, so we're going to be taking a look at what it means to be in Christ, right? And so this is, Paul's kind of like a spiritual engineer at this point. He's showing us, it's, it's like he's saying, look, we're going to get into some technical terms here, but it's okay. I just want to show you what's under the hood. Like you've experienced this stuff, but you know nobody's ever really explained it to you in you know in in some of the technical jargon, so you can really see what's under the hood and and in 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 salvation. And so it's like Paul's lifting the hood and carrying you through some of the some of the technical things that are just so rich. And so we're going to take a look at a couple big words, and we're going to be blessed for it. So we're going to be looking at um, the atoning blood. We're going to be looking at abounding grace. We're going to be looking at the announced goal and the assembled group. So that's where we're going. <clears throat> so in verse seven, in him, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So there's one of those big words, redemption. Redemption through his blood, right? So the Bible teaches that the, the relationship with God and man was uh, disrupted. It was breached back at Adam and Eve, right? And so then since then, there's been this fault, this fissure, this separation. And God's been trying to bridge this gap. The thing that keeps us further away is, is, is our sins, right? And so the word used here means faults. And it's, used, and it's used here for both, you know, like small transgression or big transgressions of the law, like, 
you know, the thou shalt not, but you did it anyway. It, it, it's used for those, but it's also used for just missing the mark. Like, you know, I, I tried to do something the right way that God wants, but it just didn't, it just didn't work out right. And, and I feel guilty about it. So, so the word is used for, you know, everything in between. So we're born into sin. And some, and some people question that. How could you be born into sin? Babies are so cute, right? Well, have you ever seen a three-year-old with a cookie jar? Or a, three, or, or a four-year-old playing with one toy with another four-year-old? Yeah, they and and you don't you don't have to train them how to how to fight and grab and scrap and claw and scratch. You don't have to train them how to do that. They naturally know. And as people grow older, it does. When you're 33, hey, the same rules apply. It's just people do it in more subtle ways because we all know what's you know what's in human nature, right? Human nature says, "I'm going to take what I want, even if it takes this you know to disobey or to transgress to get it." So we can't help but sin. But since we're repugnant to God, right? It's it's he, he can't stand it, and so that makes a separation between us and Him. So the Bible teaches, without Christ, we're the we're God's enemies, right? And but God comes down and He's wanting to reach us through Christ Jesus, and He's only going to let His friends into His home in heaven. <clears throat> and so we so we want to be His friends, right? And so we could so we could have an eternal home in heaven also. So this is where forgiveness comes in. Okay, not quite such a big word, but it's, it's got a little bit of a, of a neat nuance. It's, it, the meaning is really to, to cause to stand away. To cause to stand away. And so because of Christ's sacrifice and the punishment for sin, it's like our sin that used to control us is now put in the corner. So it's kind of like this. Sin was like this. Before you come to Christ Jesus, this is what sin's like. It's like in elementary school where they, when they do, you know, name roll call and, and, you know, Mary, present, Bruce, present. But then you turn around and you look at Bruce and Bruce isn't a little, you know, second grader. Bruce is a big green snarling hulk <laughs> and Bruce forces you to do whatever Bruce wants you to do. That's like sin, right? It's in, it's, it's in our lives and it takes control and we can't get away from it. You know how people say things like, <clears throat> I, hear, I hear some of these things sometimes. I'm, I'm going to hell for that, right? Like, I, I know I shouldn't do it, but I'm doing it anyway, and I know there's punishment, <clears throat> but I can't stop from doing it because it's addictive and it's controlling. <clears throat> because, you know, back then, sin had power over us. We, we were forced to practice sin, and because of that, we were under the penalty for sin also. But then redemption came. So there's that big word again. To, it means to release on payment. And so that's where, through the payment of a ransom, through, because of Christ's death, you're set free. We're set free. Sin, <clears throat> so sin is, is a slave and sinners are slaves. But deliverance from sin is freedom. So we have that right now if you believe in Christ Jesus. Then you're released from the payment from the captivity of sin. The penalty has been paid and you're delivered from freedom. Or delivered to freedom. Free at last, right? <clears throat> and there's no sin too great for Christ to forgive. You know, <clears throat> hurting others, Christ's blood atones for that alcoholic christ's blood atones for that drug dealing christ's blood atones for that murder christ's blood atones for that freedom from guilt and shame to anybody anybody who repents and comes to jesus because his blood is so powerful it can cleanse even the worst offender so sin has been caused to stand away from us and so and so what it's like when you come to christ jesus it's like now that sin instead of when roll call happens and, 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 and you hear Bruce and you turn around and look and it's the big green hulking guy, you know, snarling and drooling and forcing him to, to comply. Instead, now Bruce is a little weakling and he's put in the corner. He's caused to be put away from us. 
He's still there. He's still present. He's still, he's still, when his name's called, he still says present. But the difference is he no longer has power over us. His power has been stripped, right? <clears throat> so we have the ability to put him in the corner and to leave him there and to, and to not let him get out. <laughs> but if you let him get out, he's going to get, he's going to turn green and huge again. So sin will be present, but it doesn't have power. You can't overcome it, right? <clears throat> and so this is atonement. So the atoning blood, atonement. So I've, I've, I've heard this said before, and now I, now I see why at one meant, right? Or to atone is at one. It comes from medieval English, and um, that's actually what it means. It's a different word for the one, but at onen was what it was. But anyway, it's at one meant. And so it's to be at one. It's to be connected together. Um, it's to be in unison and harmony. And that's what God does by the blood of Jesus Christ. He, he redeems us from our sin, which is he buys us back. He forgives us of our sin, and that brings us to atonement or to be at one with him right that's that's the atonement by the blood so how does that happen it happens because of god's grace and that that's you know talked about in this verse too so grace quick overview a favor benefit done without expectation of return just done the only motive is in the kindness of god to men and the bounty and free heartedness of god as the giver that's it we have nothing to offer but he gives us this this grace anyway so redemption is a completely free gift. It not only forgives, but it also brings joy and thankfulness. And so it's kind of like this. We were here on the negative, right? So like if you had a, you know, just a, just a simple graph, we were down here in the red. We were on in the negative. And grace doesn't just bring us up to zero, which would be awesome in and of itself to just be forgiven. But then it gives us joy and hope and thankfulness and life above that. So we're way up in the black just because of what God gives, right? And so the neat thing about this phrase in here is he gives grace according to his, uh, the, or he gives uh, redemption, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Do you know what the difference is between according to the riches of his grace versus out of the riches of his grace? It doesn't say God gives out of the riches of his grace, but according to, because out of would indicate that God has riches, and then he takes a little bit out, and he gives it to you, and his reserves get diminished a little. He gave you some, but he doesn't do that. He gives according to what he has, which means he has a lot, so he gives a lot. If he only had a little, he would give a little. That's what it means to give according to what you're able. So he gives according to what he has. He has a lot, so he gives so much. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. But it's only through Jesus' blood because it's, that's the only blood that can atone. So that's the atoning blood. Then in verse 8. <clears throat> His grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and understanding. And this is abounding grace. This is the abounding grace. So God's grace abounds to you and to me. And so to abound means to give you so much that it, from, from God's abundance that now you have an abundance. It's, and, 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 and what's that about? To, he's abounding to us in wisdom and understanding. So wisdom is the objective insight to God's true nature in dealing with ourselves, right? In, in, in dealing with mankind. So the wisdom is the objective overview of what God's doing. The understanding is our subjective apprehension. So, so it's almost like God gives us the wisdom to see what he's doing, but then he gives us the understanding to know our part in it, right? To, our, to know our subjective part, to grasp for ourselves what our hope, what our sure hope is. 
And so, and so he gives us both those things. So I want to give you an example about what abundant grace looks like. So just hold, hold your finger in Ephesians and then flip over to 2 Corinthians 8. So we're going to take a look through this one just because it's a really good example. There's some other examples too, and I'll, uh, we might fly through those quickly, but 2 Corinthians 8, and then verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> now we make known to you, brothers and sisters, the grace of God given to the churches of Macedonia. So this is about the churches Philippi and Thessalonica that during a severe ordeal of suffering, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. For I testify, they gave according to their means. That's the same according to, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. They did so voluntarily, begging us with great earnestness for the blessing and fellowship of helping the saints. And they did this not just as we had hoped, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So if we were making this into an equation, <laughs> this is what the equation would look like, what happened at those churches in Macedonia. It started out with suffering plus poverty. Does that sound like, does that sound like a fun existence, suffering plus poverty? No, that, so suffering plus poverty equals life stinks. But the next equation is you're adding one other component. Suffering plus poverty plus grace. Now that changes everything. That turns into the equal sign on the right-hand side of that. It equals abundant joy and giving with generosity. Their circumstances hadn't changed. Everything in their life was exactly the same, except they got grace. And it turned, and it turned out to, to, to work out through them in them abundant, giving them abundant joy, nothing had changed, but they all of a sudden have abundant joy and they're giving with generosity, the least able people. And they're the ones giving the most earnestly begging to be allowed to give. That's how you can tell when grace has, is in somebody's life, right? That's one example. There's other examples too. So just along those, just along those lines, when, you know, when God got a hold of me, when, when he saved me out at, um, you know, Boston, um, I was, <clears throat> So I, I was just an ensign, right? Kind of scraping by a little bit, but I just so wanted to be able to give and to, in, to not show up to God's house empty handed that I made it a point to, to like never do that. But anyway, so that was just, that, so that God was working in my life and that was in, you know, a, an outflow of that grace. Because Jesus had given, so this like was so new and fresh to me. Jesus had given me so much. How could I not give, right? How can I not give him something? How can I not give him everything? How can I not give my life for whatever he wants to do with me? I was just overflowing with thankful. That's what grace does to us, right? Okay, some other examples. It doesn't have to be in giving because there's different things. So in Romans 12, 6 through 8, I'll just feel free to jot it down. and You can look at it now or look at it later either way, but I'll go ahead and just read it quickly. Romans 12, 6 through 8. <clears throat> having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So everybody gets different gifts, right? Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. For ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 
So that's, <clears throat> that's just an example. Another one is 1 Corinthians 1, 4 through 5, and that talks about you know, utterance, that the grace of God came to the Ephesian church and it resulted in, um, you know, in, in utterances, right? I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance. That was an outworking of God's grace. So it's not just a, God's grace isn't, isn't just a, you know, just to sit and be content or anything like it. It actually has an outflow of, of, of works that it does through us, right? Of, of, of good works, whatever it is that we're, you know, gifted to do. And it actually comes out like that. That's how you can tell grace is there. So it's, so the point is the huge, hugeness of God's grace results in the hugeness of God's gift. And that results in the hugeness of our actions and good works in, in whatever area it is that God's called us to act, that we can act in a huge kind of way. And so his giving furnishes the receiver to the point that we have an abundance also. So so that's abounding grace. So we have atoning blood. We have abounding grace. And now in verse 9, we have the announced goal. <clears throat> Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So we have another one of those in Christ. So this is his revealed purpose or his announced goal. So this mystery... Um, a mystery in God's kingdom is something that was, it, it's, it's not a mystery to God's people, but it's hidden from those who are not yet God's people. God's not obligated to tell everybody in the world his whole plans and everything that he's doing, how he deals with everybody. He keeps those things, for secret, the secret counsels of how he governs, he keeps those and he gives them out to his people, to us, right? But he doesn't spread it out throughout the rest of the world. So every now and then you may hear other people, friends or coworkers or family say things like, "How I don't understand. God kills his son and you Christians think it's great. Or they say, a good God would never send people to hell. Right? So comments like that, they're just based in an attitude of judgment against God, not really seeking the truth about Jesus. So those people, they just can't understand because it, this is a mystery to them. It's hidden. It's intentionally hidden until they come to Christ Jesus. And when and when a person does come to Christ Jesus, then that's what this verse says. The thing that's under the hood is that God gives that wisdom and knowledge and understanding. But it's hidden until they come to Christ Jesus. You could argue till the cows come home. They won't be convinced. They won't be convinced. So 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 what can get through to them, right? Like <clears throat> I've seen on news feeds and stuff that, you know, some people who are antagonistic to Christians get on there and start... I guess trolling or you know typing in angry words and berating the Christian who's you know trying to post something, and so then the other Christian gets other Christians to gang up and come and try to beat them up with comments. Ridiculous. Romans one sixteen, Paul says, "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe." The only thing that can change those people's hearts, those people's minds and understanding, is the gospel itself. There's, there isn't an argument that's going to that's gonna get them. Only the gospel has the power of God to do that. So what's the gospel? That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. I declare to you the gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's what they need to hear. Christ died for their sins, according to the scriptures. It was foretold, and he was buried and he rose again the third day. And if God opens their eyes, then that's all they need. And then, then he'll reveal the mystery to them. And so, and so how does he reveal this mystery to us? 
because so he gives us the information of what our sure hope is our expectation to be with him in the future so how is it that so some people would think okay so that means that god's prejudice right so he gives this information to some people but not to other people right no the free gift is open to anybody anybody can just come and receive it all it takes is faith that's all it takes god doesn't judge god doesn't hold grudges god doesn't push people out it doesn't matter your race your language your your color your ethnicity your you know gender your height your weight your piercings it, none of that matters the only thing that matters is will you come to christ jesus because if you will then then god will forgive you and god will give you all this understanding there's he's not holding back from anybody who who comes to him so christ's invitation is a free gift completely free to everybody without any prejudice and if anyone comes to Jesus, then they will be saved, but they have to come. <clears throat> and then they'll get a sure hope. So something else interesting in this verse is, is it talks about, you know, will according to God's will and uh, that he is determined about what he has determined should be should be done. That's what his will means, that which God has determined shall be done and coupled with his good pleasure. So there's a couple of things in this verse that just show that God's really in charge. He's in charge and he's got a plan and this plan is to to bring you into his family. And he's so happy to do it too. This is the this is according to the good pleasure of his will, right? Nobody's twisting his arm. He did this of his own accord, his own plan, his own initiative. He's the one who wants you in his kingdom in his family. <clears throat> You're his prize. You may think, you know, I'm not much of a prize. I'm kind of broken. You know, I'm, I'm not all put together. God still thinks you're a prize because he knows what he can turn you into. He, he just loves to show love for people who don't deserve it. And none of us deserve it. He just wants to give it away anyway because he's got so much goodness that he can't help but give it away. <clears throat> this verse just, you know, came to mind. When I was, so God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because he was the first cheerful giver. He gives cheerfully to us. So he loves it when we can, you know, return that back to him, right? He loves to give. So we've got atoning blood, abounding grace, the announced goal, and then we get into that, what it is, right? It's our hope to be together with Christ, which is why we read that scripture a little, little bit ago in First Thessalonians. So in verse 10, assembled group. So that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So this is assembled group. <clears throat> and so the dispensation part, that's just the management stewardship of a specific era. So it's like the era, when the era has reached its fullness. And so it's kind of like this. If you're filling a cup full of water, and so you're pouring the water in, and the, and, and the cup gets more and more full, more and more full. And pretty soon it's about to overflow. When we get to that point, then that's the appointed time. So when the cup is full, ready to overflow, that's the appointed time. And so to, to, to reword it a little bit, when the appointed time is fulfilled, then Jesus Christ will gather to himself everyone who belongs to him, those in Christ, in heaven and in earth. And then we read that scripture that uh, Randy talked about a little bit also, which is which is our hope to be caught up together with the Lord and, and, to, and to always be with him, right? Because this world, it's a temporary place. 
in its current state, it's not meant to last. It's not going to last forever. It's going to get overhauled. It's going to be a major overhaul when Jesus comes again. He's going to fix everything. He's going to make it new. So don't get too shaken up because it's, it's in its state right now, it's only temporary. So we have atoning blood. We have abounding grace. We have announced goal. We have assembled group. And there's nothing greater in the world than to be in Christ. And that's the apostles' message here. That if you're in Christ, then you have everything that you could ever need in this life or that to come. All fears are gone. Hope will abound in you. You'll have unsurpassed joy. No guilt, no shame. Freedom from the power and the practice and the penalty of sin. You can search through every corner of the earth and you will never find something that compares with that. And so if you don't know Jesus, then God might be stirring your heart to get to know him. So when Jesus comes in the clouds, he's going to judge the world by the words that he's spoken. And those who don't obey his gospel will be crushed to powder. But now's your opportunity. If you allow yourself to be broken by him now, then he won't crush you later. He'll gather you to himself later as part of his family. And so how can you become part of Jesus' family? By believing in him. In Acts 16, 30, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Come to him with no pretensions, allowing him to break you and to change you. So this last week, a couple days ago, I saw one of the one of the most sincere acts that I think I've ever seen, uh, probably, probably just about ever. So I was <clears throat> at the courthouse, and this was an unrelated person. I didn't know this person at all. But they brought a prisoner in, and he stood before the judge, and he had his lawyer next to him. And the judge said, after there was some you know, lawyer and judge discussion, the judge turned to address the prisoner who was in handcuffs, and he had a chain on his ankles, and so he couldn't run very fast if he wanted to run. And he, I think he looked like he was about 23 years old. <clears throat> and so the judge asked him a couple questions. I think because maybe the judge is, doesn't normally see this. That's kind of what it seemed like. He was just wanting to clarify to make sure that he really understood. So the judge said, <clears throat> you are submitting a guilty plea. You understand that, right? And, and the young man said, yes. You know, without the tone inflection, he said, yes. <clears throat> and he said, our, the judge asked, are you waiving your right to appeal? And the man said, yes. And the judge said, do you, do you understand that I'm going to sentence you to 12 years in prison? Do you understand that? And the young man said, yes. <clears throat> so the judge said, are you asking for or expecting a lighter sentence than 12 years? Has anybody given you any hope for that? And the young man said, no. So the judge said, okay, is there anything you want to say before I sentence you? And the man said, yeah. He said, I'm so filled with remorse that I hope that what I did will never happen to anyone else again. That's what it looks like to come to Jesus. It's saying to him, what I did was wrong and I'm broken over it and I never want to do it again and I'm guilty and you can do with me whatever you think is best. I accept whatever judgment you say in advance I'm at your feet. Do with me as, as, as you will. The interesting thing was, so, <clears throat> and so in, in this case, the judge said, okay, I'm going to deliver your sentence. And he, and he delivered him to 12 years in jail, just like, he, just like he said. And the gavel came down and that was it. And the man was escorted out. And when he's about 35, then he'll be able to try to get out. 
So the difference between that judge and our judge is when we stand before God the Father and you say the same exact things. What I did was wrong. I hope it never happens again. I never want to do it. I accept whatever judgment you say in advance. You're just and I'm not. When you come with that exact same heart, just like that man did, there's a huge difference in the courtroom because God, basically, in essence, this is what happens. God says, okay, I'm going to render the verdict. And then the hammer comes down and he says, not guilty. Wait, I am guilty. I did all those things. I feel awful about it. You need to throw the book at me. No, the penalty has already been paid by my son. Two people can't pay the penalty. Only one person can pay the penalty. And he paid it. So you tell God that you're guilty and he's going to come back and tell you, no, you're not. I'm acquitting you because my son already paid the price. And then he gives us a new heart full of joy and thankfulness to God for Jesus' sacrifice. So are you guilty? Then come to Jesus without pretension. Don't expect to get good treatment. Just come to him in humility. It'll hurt a little now, but you'll be accepted into his family and he'll give you joy to last forever. Because he'll tell you the same thing. You come to him and say that you're guilty and he'll turn you around and say, not anymore. Because Jesus did everything he could possibly do to give you and me salvation. All we need to do is believe and come to him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your grace. That when we come to you with repentant and contrite hearts, expecting you to throw the book at us, that you forgive us and you give us joy and you give us hope for a better future and you change us and so we don't have to be in bondage anymore. Thank you for the ability to be in Christ. That amazing miracle that you do when we come to you with a repentant heart and you take us and you, and you change us from the inside out and so that we can be part of your family. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would draw us closer to yourself. Help us to see the riches in grace in Christ Jesus. And so we can be drawn closer to you, closer to Christ our Lord. Father, we want to behold him. We want to have the kind of things happen in our life that no matter what circumstances we're in, that we would have such grace abounding that we could overcome and throw that X factor into it that just brings abundant joy, even though our circumstances haven't changed. That you would bring life and hope Enjoy, Heavenly Father, we ask that we just lay our, our lives at your feet. We ask that you would do with us as is your pleasure. We pray that you would be glorified through our lives. We pray that you would be exalted in this place. And we pray that the name of Christ Jesus would be shouted from the housetops here in this city. Because of the goodness of the gift that you've given us in him. Bless each one of us as we go today. 
we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.